Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks. And on today's episode, I had the pleasure to talk to C. Todd Lombardo. And C. Todd is currently the VP of Product at Machine Metrics, but he's also worked as a design and product strategist, consulting for notable clients such as TripAdvisor, Spotify, New York Times, BBVA, FedEx, and Lowe's. Not to mention he's adjunct faculty at Madrid's IE Business School and Baltimore's Maryland Institute College of Art. He's also the author of multiple O'Reilly books, including Design Sprint, a practical guidebook for creating great digital products, Product Roadmaps Relaunched, How to Set Direction While Embracing Uncertainty, and Product Research Rules, Nine Foundational Rules for Product Teams to Run Accurate Research that Delivers Actionable Insight. We talked about a lot today, but a few things things that I want to call out is um, this relationship possibly to how chemistry and doing A-B tests in chemistry relates to SaaS product research, or maybe how people come into product from all different backgrounds and paths. I think you're going to love this conversation. So let's jump right in. Todd, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having. It's great to be here, George. Well, I'm going to throw it to you first. I'd love to get just a, a quick story, uh, the background of how did you get into this crazy world of product and the things that we we love and do today? Yeah, there was a great Twitter thread uh, that said, you know, what's your story of how you got into product? And um, you know, I was like, well, you know, I kind of explained the story in a couple of different tweets. And somebody said, oh, you get into product because the previous product manager left to become a rafting instructor. And I was like, yeah, I got into product because the product manager at the company at the time left the company to be a rafting instructor. Uh, is fantastic. <laughs> so that needs a whole lot more context, but tell me that story. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was working as an engineer um, in a biotech space. So we were working on instrumentation that had a software and hardware component and uh a chemistry and biology component as well. And the uh, product manager, Robin, I think she just had gotten an appointment in her career. She's been, she had been a product manager for quite some time. And she, had, she just got to the point of her career. She's like, I'm done, I've had it. She was like late thirties. And she's like, you know what? I'm done. I've been doing yeah. this for 10 years. And so she quit her job and decided to become a whitewater rafting instructor and moved up to, to Northern Maine. Um, I mean, we all kind of want to go do that. So I get it. Yeah. And uh, so I think it was one of those, like, if, if I don't do this now, it's now or never, and I'm just going to uh -huh. do this. So she did. That left a gap. And a lot of the sales team kept coming to me because I was the expert in this particular product. And I was probably the, maybe the most friendly engineer. I wouldn't say that as a, a good friendly bunch, but maybe <laughs> I was just the one who was good, able to communicate and answer their questions in a way that was useful to the sales and marketing teams. So after about, I don't know, maybe four or six months of that, one of the sales reps, this guy, Alex Sparks, he was the Southern California sales rep. And he's just like, he's like, Todd, man, he's like, you need to be, you need to be the product manager. He's like, everyone's going to you. He's like, they're all, you know, we're all telling each other, go, go talk to, go talk to C Todd, go talk to, go talk to him. And uh, I was like, right, all right, what should I do? He's like, go talk to Rich, who was the Robin's old boss. So I went and talked to Rich and Rich is like, you know, yeah, let me think about that. And a day later, he's like, yeah, we're going to put you in the interview process just to make sure, you know, yeah. things are kosher. And uh, a week later, I basically had the job. 
I love it. And he was like, I will teach you everything. And I was said, look, I've never done this job before. I've been a, you know, studied biomedical engineering and I've not studied marketing or management or, or software, all that stuff. Like, you know, I, I studied hardware design and <laughs> uh, I didn't study this stuff. He's like, no, no way. I'll, I'll teach you everything you need to know. Great. Um, four weeks later, he was asked to leave the organization oh, for no. some political reasons. Oh, so no. I had four weeks of mentorship and then uh-huh. I was totally stuck on my own and they didn't hire, uh, they didn't backfill his role for a good year. So wow. I, I just had the craziest time, uh, but I learned an enormous amount in that year that has helped me to this day. You had to. Yeah, it was literally sink or swim and I treaded water for a long time. Um, and one of the other things that I think helped a lot, like looking back, was that one of the things I had to inherit a, a product that I didn't know much about. I knew of it, but I didn't know too much of it. But Rich's like, hey, if you want it, you can take over Robin's product, but I also need somebody to handle this other one that has no product manager right now. But I think you can do it because you're, they're similar products. You've got the background that, that can, can fit well. And I was like, okay, great. Because I studied biology and engineering. And um, it, was, it was very, very related. It was about um, a way to deal with DNA. Basically, it was a way of processing oh, cool. DNA. Yeah. Um, so, I said, okay, great. You know, I'm just, as long as I got your guidance, well, I think I'll be fine. And uh, <laughs> turns out this product was an absolute nightmare. Oh, and yeah. it was, there was eight pilot. These are like half a million dollar instrumentations, sure. lab instrumentations had to be, um, you know, installed. There's a huge, just a, a whole bunch of effort to go in just to getting one of these into a customer site. So we had eight of them across the globe um, in places like Perth, Australia, of all places, of course. literally yeah, the right. other side of the globe from where oh I am gosh. at in, in, in New England. And uh, <laughs> so, um, and here's the thing is they were, they were just were notorious for breaking a lot because they were, they were pilots. Um, mm-hmm. They had, promise of what they could do in terms of processing DNA in a certain way um, on a more automated fashion that would help a lot of research in particular around a particular element of cancer that a lot of researchers and pharma companies were very, very interested in at the time. So lots of buzz from uh, the the community around this and uh, people wanting the the machine or the instrument um, had eight pilots, but they really struggled to get it to work comes to find out the sales, the, the sales guy had shipped a hand, a couple of them, like previously, like basically said, Oh, we've got an order. It's not ready. We'll ship it anyways, because he wanted to recognize the revenue. He basically strong armed the engineering manager to push the, push the product out. So in this first year, I basically had to learn all this and actually pull this product off the market. So here I am first time product manager. I had been an engineer for a few years. Um, I basically just finished a master's degree and it was just like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? Yeah. Hello. Welcome to roll. And it's one thing like product is all about, you know, understanding the customer's needs, translating those needs to a development team uh, and getting a product out to market. And so I was doing right. that with the one I inherited from Robin, but this other one, I had to be exact opposite of like, I had to understand what was going wrong with the product and actually pull it off the market. So I did these two things that were very in contrast with each other at the same time. And uh, that was really interesting to almost reverse engineer what it was like to ship a product to market and having to coordinate hardware, software, chemistry, yeah. and biology yeah. on one platform was really quite a, an insane experience. 
for my first product. Uh, Cause now when I think about it, I'm like, it's just software. I'm like, you have no idea how much easier that is. <laughs> Relatively <laughs> speaking. I mean, yes, software is complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No question. Uh -huh. But when it's quote unquote, just software, I was like, wow, it really, it just set me up. Like, it set the bar so high and, and just the levels on complexity. You think about the levels of complexity with the current mm. cloud-based, you know, front end, back end, lots of different complexities in, in all the, the, the moving parts. Add on top of that hardware, soft uh, hardware and chemistry and biology in the mix and it's just the the orders of magnitude of complexity are insane um so having to live through that for a few years and then coming back down to only having to deal with one part of that i was like wow this seems, feels so much easier it's not it's still hard but it it's all relative right at that point relative, yeah, right? yeah yeah exactly that's it's super like interesting you, because i think it's 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 people's ability to to learn is is really whether or not they're going to succeed in this this industry because i was talking to um we were just talking in a previous podcast with uh, marty kagan yeah uh, who wrote empowered yeah of course. and he was he was talking about the fact that like nobody teaches this stuff like no. there's no school for i mean there there are now a little bit there are people talking about product management schools but there there hasn't been it's not taught mm -hmm. in business school it's your ability to go oh i gotta figure this out and, and if I don't, it's either I leave or, you know, it all falls apart. Um, and, and you, you went for <laughs> exactly. it, you pulled it together and made it happen. That's incredible. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was not easy by any means. It was a really yeah. hard, it was basically, a, I think I was there for like a couple, few years, two, two, three years. Um, but wow, what an experience. And it really helped a lot of just my, my early education in product and understanding like, okay, how do I deal with this? And, and it's funny because later on, uh, in my career, one of my bosses said, look, you've got a really, you know, a hell of a good common sense in your brain. And like, that's your, that's your biggest advantage right now. Totally. <laughs> like, okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Let's go. Right. With it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I love that some of your previous episodes talked about curiosity and you know, like, if, yeah. if you don't have a level of curiosity, you can't, you, you just got to dig in and ask lots of questions. And that's the, um, that's a thing that's really, really helpful. So, uh, it's kind of a long-winded answer ultimately. I to love the, it. How did you get into product? But um, it really set the stage for, you know, for where I ended up going with it and, uh, a bunch of other startups, startups and, and at small biotech startups, at least in Boston at the time, like you did everything you did. The, the, I remember doing like UI design in visual basic for like C sharp and C plus plus backends. It. Like, yeah, I was uh, I'm dating myself here, but like that, you did the UI design, you, you wrote the marketing copy, you, you know, you did so much, uh, of base product management and product marketing at the same time. Uh -huh. Um, yeah. it was a, it was a good place to, to learn and sharpen a, a lot of the stuff that, um, it, it's a chemistry and chemistry and biology reagents, like, uh, mm. from a consumable product standpoint is so similar to modern SAS. You can shift stuff, you can make very quick tweaks. You can do AB experiments. You can like all of the stuff that we do, like I, we, I was doing, I didn't call them AB experiments, but we would ship like, Oh, what if we ship, you know, customer a, this recipe and customer B, this recipe, even though they do similar things, what's the difference? Do we see, do we see something, right? It wasn't exactly as complicated as we have now with like, you know, I'm going to split my, my customer, you know, two from base this way, that way, but right, right, of course. it's similar things in concept. And, uh, you know, because it's chemistry, you can easily change the recipe relatively quickly. Um, get some prototypes out, test it with customers, get feedback immediately because the customers are using it on a regular basis. So yeah, of course, the, the principles were all there and uh, I didn't realize that. That's a like, comparison oh. that I don't know that a lot of people have made. Let's, let's compare chemistry with SaaS products and <laughs> AB testing. I think that's brilliant because I love building bridges. So like, I like learning about what people do in other industries. It's one of the reasons I like owning an agency is because we get to touch so many oh, different yeah. spaces. 
Yeah. And, um, and, and the fun part for me is when I go, oh, what you're talking about there in uh, cybersecurity is a lot like this other thing I was talking to somebody about in you know, manufacturing. They have nothing in their jargon or in their, in their structure yep. or anything is the same, except they, there is a lot that's the same. So I love that comparison. Yeah, it's fun. I, I love that. And actually, I worked for an agency in Boston for a while called Fresh Tilled Soil. And I love that uh, exposure to so many different things. That's a, it is really fun about an agency. You're like, oh, yeah, I get to you know, basically work in the finance industry for a while. Yep, cool. Yep. Uh, and then it's like, next thing you know, you're like, you have a, a, a project in the like home improvement space. And you're like, cool, I get to go learn about e-commerce and home improvement. That's fun. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, Super cool. Okay. Well, fast forward a little bit. <clears throat> At some point you got connected to O'Reilly. Yeah. And you started writing books. So yeah, tell man. me, tell me about that journey. Sure. Um, so I was, I think it was 2012. I was on a bike ride with Richard Banfield, who's now a VP at um, Envision. He was the mm -hmm. guy who started Fresh Tilled Soil. Um, and we're both, both in the Boston area, both avid cyclists, we're on a bike ride and it was, I think it was around 2012. Um, there was like one blog post from the Google Venture guys about design sprints. Yeah. And we both were doing, like he was doing them with Fresh Tilled Soul. I wasn't working there. I was working elsewhere. And I was like, you know, you're doing them. I'm doing them. I was actually just about to join Constant Contact and help them oh, build an yeah. innovation team. And I started to just write a quick little document of like, all right, I'm gonna have to train some people how to do this. How do I codify this a little bit? There's not much out there. There's that, you know, there's one blog post from Google, a couple other things, and I've got my own notes and, and methodology. Sprint hadn't come out yet. And yeah, yeah, I remember those early yet. days because we were all experimenting with this yeah. idea of a five-day course thing. Yeah. And basically, I had I had basically taken Stanford's D school, like their five yep. five phase approach, and it started out in like 2010 when I was starting to teach at IE Business School. I was starting to teach some design thinking courses there. And I basically just said, like the program director said, look, I can give you a week with the, with the MBA students. Um, what can you do with design thinking? And I basically looked over at Stanford's format. I said, I'm going to take that. I'm going to do one of these phases each day. And we're going to have it. You know, it's going to be a design, a design thinking week. We'll call it a, a design challenge. We're calling them design challenge weeks. Oh, and, I see. And yeah. That went from student. Like it was great to sort of prototype the format with the students a bit and teaching them. But then I also used it with clients at the time, too. Um, and I was like, okay, this works with clients as well. I could totally see it working with clients and products. Um, so I started running them in that. And then, you know, we're on this bike ride with, with Richard. And I'm thinking, he's, I was like, yeah, maybe we should write a book about it. And I was really half joking. Um, actually, I probably was more joking than, than half joking. Uh, of course. Probably really like anybody joking. mentions writing a book, they're usually joking. <laughs> yeah. And instead of, instead of him saying like, that's a stupid idea, see, Todd, he said, yeah, we totally should. Nobody's written this. And I was like, oh, crap. I think I just agreed to write a book. Uh -huh. There it is. So, so um, we reached out to people in our network who have written books and uh, we eventually got connected to O'Reilly and a few others. I think it was like four or five different publishers and we pitched them all the, the concept and um, we got offered a uh, publish offers relatively quickly. Like we had wow. some friends like, oh, you know, you might have to pitch to like 17 or 20 authors, uh, I'm sorry, publishers before you actually get anything back. And we're like, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll see what this, how this goes with these couple. And of the like four or five we pitched to, we had two offers in a matter of like 48 hours. It was a little- That's like, incredible. Um, probably because- Now I you think, actually do have to do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so we, and I think Richard had a loose connection to the, to the Google Ventures guys at the time. So yep. he reached out to them and says, hey, we might be, um, we hadn't signed anything yet. We're like, oh, hey, we've talked to a couple of publishers. You guys interested in collaborating with this? You guys have started to write on stuff like this. We've started to write stuff like this. 
Um, and, and actually Richard and I went and did a, a writing sprint. So like, Hey, let's try to take that design sprint oh, cool. format and do the same thing. So we, we interviewed a handful of different design stakeholders on the first understand day. Like we tried to follow a similar process, but used writing as sort of the, the output, like, right. I love that. Yeah, with a prototype. Yeah. We had a prototype that was like a, uh, and a friend of ours, um, was actually a designer working for, for Richard, uh, had pre in a past life worked in the publishing industry designed and laid out the book, like our version of the book for us, our prototype of it. And we sent it off to a handful of our, like five or six of our colleagues at the end of the week. And we're like, what do you think? It's awesome. It was crazy. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how that, that happened. What was really hilarious was like, we never, we heard like, we get one very cryptic email back from the GV guys. And, um, you know, it was kind of like, oh, do you have a publisher? Where are you at? Blah, blah, blah. And so Rich is like, yeah, this, you know, we're talking to these publishers. We've not signed anything yet. Here's the deal. Here's our prototype from our, our, our writing sprint. And um, dead radio silence. Didn't hear a thing back from oh, them. Weird. Like, okay, well, I'll, I guess they're not interested in writing. Like, okay, I mean, they're busy guys. They probably, you know, they've sure. got other things to do. Um, so we eventually signed the contract with O'Reilly because it seemed like it was a good fit. Um, and I don't know, like, maybe one or two months to the day. It was, was not, it was not too long afterwards. It was maybe like we had already signed the contract to actually write the book for O'Reilly. And then Google, I think it was like two months later, Google Ventures announces theirs. And we're like, oh. Uh, uh, that's where the radio that's why they, That's why they didn't say anything. Oh, <laughs> so we're like, well, let's hope that our books are different. And thankfully they were like, we yeah, wrote ours yeah. like a cookbook. Like, hey, here's a recipe book. You want to, here's how you spring it together. Because a lot of the a lot of the experience that Richard and I had were working either in an agency format or working with larger organizations to do uh -huh. like, hey, um, you know, how do I fit a design sprint in in front of this where nobody has a full week of time? But if you're like Google Ventures, you've written a check for a million bucks to a startup, they're gonna make the time. They're gonna make the the, the time. But when yeah. you're in the enterprise and saying, hey, look, I've I've got to figure out how to get this done in with right. limited resources and oh i can give you two hours here and two hours there so we're like all right we tried to write it with that frame in mind and be very cookbook like and i was glad that we had yeah. very different approaches because yeah. they it's, are it's a, a great it's a great way to approach it it's different than what they did <laughs> yeah yeah and i'm very glad we didn't know what we're doing but i'm really glad it ended up being like that because they're they're complementary in in many ways um, yeah. and they, they wrote those very very story-like which is nice mm -hmm. and a lot of checklists and you know it's it's great work um, so, but it was nice to see that it wasn't like we weren't directly copying them and they weren't directly copying us. So it was, it was kind of nice. So you wrote a book, then, then you went on to write two more. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I, I say this, I'm, I'm honestly a little bit selfishly, cause I'm just now starting into the, uh, this year, potentially thinking about writing my first book. And so I'm, I'm, I, everybody I talk to that's, you know, I've got a stack of books around me here. Everybody I talk to that's written books. I'm just like, okay, so how did you, where, where did it start? Yeah. You know, what are you thinking about? And just, you know, learning. So. And part of it is we saw a gap, like, uh, yeah. you know, I was basically saying, Hey, look, nobody's really written much about this at the time. There was literally like one or maybe two blog posts from, I think Jake at the time right, right. when I initially talked to Richard about it. And, um, this, the similar thing happened with the product roadmaps relaunched, um, you know, I had been a product manager. I had created, created roadmaps, and I was, I was at the time, I was at Fresh Tilled Soil. Um, I joined them as their chief design strategist, and um, their chief product strategist, Evan Ryan, he started to do some roadmapping workshops with clients, and I was like, oh man, that's awesome! And so yeah. we, I worked with him to to help sharpen that that roadmap workshop because we were we had a lot of client work, and 
we were mostly a design agency, but oftentimes <laughs> some of our clients would come to us and say, okay, well now what do we do? Like we've gotten the product to this point oh, and yeah. helped us design it. Yep. Now what? And so uh, it was actually initially Evan's workshop that basically evolved into this. Um, and uh, which just, by the way, that's how Crema got started. I'm a designer by trade. So we started as a design agency and turned into going, people kept going, well, now what do I do with these designs? And we're like, oh, I guess I should, I should find some developers to build this stuff. And so we end up, we have more developers on staff than anything now. Um, yeah. So I get it. Awesome. I get it. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because we weren't really a development agency. We're design, really a design agency and, and product yeah. design agency. Sorry. Like sneaker design, product design. Yeah. Like we, we're product we're design. purely a digital product design, yeah. digital product agency. So I yeah. get it. And, and, um, so they were asking us like, where should we take this product next? And hence the, the roadmap workshop. And that was a, a great way to sort of just help keep our, you know, engage as, a, as an agency. You want to continue to engage your customers and help yep. them. Yep. So that helped us do that. And then um, I think Evan and I were just sort of like chatting over lunch one day. And I was like, there's got to be a book on this somewhere, right? Somebody's had to written about this, you know, amazon.com product roadmaps, nothing. I mean, there's wow. product strategy. There was product yeah, strategy yeah, yeah. books. Of course. And um there's lots of them out there and uh, they often have a chapter on road mapping, yep. but there was no one book that was dedicated to this. And we're like, whoa, wait, wait. that voice starts, you know, going in the back of your mind. If oh, not crap, you, I'm going to write another book. If not you, then who, if not you, then who, if not yeah. now, then when, yeah, right? right, uh, right. going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I, I had, I had a, you know, many years as a product uh, manager under my belt and so Evan as well. And, um, and I said, okay, Evan, I've got obviously got a publisher that I, I, I know how to work with. And you and I have got some experience here. I was like, but there's one guy we need to bring in. And uh, Bruce McCarthy was like the guy in Boston who had been talking about roadmaps for probably a good you know, 10 years more than, I, uh, than any of us had. He's been, right. he's been doing it for so long. And Bruce had really built a brand name for himself in the Boston area at the very least of there's a lot of his talks were around roadmaps um, at, at product camps and, and all the local meetups. Like he was known as that guy. I was like, we got to talk to Bruce. And if we can't mm -hmm. get him on board, we probably shouldn't try to write this because he's, yeah. he's been doing this for longer than we have. And he's got, you know, um, something to bring to this. So uh, we, we engaged him and brought him in and told him about the whole thing. He's like, oh, I'm in. This is great. And, uh, you know, he, he really helped add a level of polished credibility. And, and I think just, uh, you know, he was like our wise elder in a sense. Yeah, yeah which is um, huge when you're, you're stepping into something that nobody's really spent a lot of time to expand on that in that way. Yeah. And he, he brought certain, and it's funny because we all we each brought different things to it. Like, um, you know, Bruce's thematic approach to roadmaps was, was super great. Um, Evan sort of had the whole now next later thing that I think he kind of borrowed mm -hmm. from, from John Abastow. And sort of my, my, my contribution was like, well, you know, you got a roadmap, that's a strategy document, but people need to know what's happening now. So you got to connect your roadmap and release plan. And if you don't do that, you know, people are going to think your roadmap's a bunch of BS. If you don't actually show them like, well, here's what's coming, coming next. That's right. And, um, you know, so that and a bunch of other things came together and it, it really was, um, it really worked out well. It, it, it's, uh, when O'Reilly told us, I think a year ago that it was their second most or second best selling product book. Are you kidding me? That's yeah, fantastic. Behind Melissa, behind Melissa Perry's build trap. Yeah. And I was like, wow. We were just like, super cool, man. That's so cool. Okay. So then one step further. Yeah. Your more recent book, product research. Yeah. Yeah. Product research rules. And that came from just working with startups, being in an agency for a bit, um, starting my own, my own company, uh, you know, trying my own company called Vempathy, uh, co-founded with a guy trying to like a, a UX research 
facial recognition, uh, interesting thing that didn't quite work. But part of it was in the back of my mind, and I think every product person has this is, am I building the right thing? Yeah, of course. What's the right thing to build? Am I building the right thing? And there's a lot of ego-driven development out there. You see it all the time. Like, I've got an idea. I'm going to go build it. And they just, they spend lots of energy building something and that goes nowhere. Right. And I came across a study by the Standish Group. They studied 2,000, roughly 2,000 software projects over about 1,000 different companies, big and small, all sorts of industries, new new and old. And they they learned that like 45% of shipped features are never used. Oh my gosh. My soul just died a little bit. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Right. It doesn't surprise you, but you're like, wow, that's bigger than I thought. Like I would have thought like 25% of features. Okay, sure. 45. 45. And then like the rarely part is, is like another 17% on top of that. You're like, oh Oh my my God, half of the stuff that we build and ship is rarely or never used. And so it, it, you know, the thing that stuck to me was like, how do we not build stuff that people like, how do we build stuff that people want? How do we build stuff people need? Right. Um, and, and not just go off and build, you know, whatever ideas that the CEO or the senior exec has mm-hmm. um, that he or she wants to see that may not be the right thing. So that has always been, I think, in the back of my mind. And actually it stems back from that early, that first story of like, why did I have to take this half a million dollar machine off the market out of eight pilot customers hands talk about a waste yeah because yeah because it wasn't the right thing it wasn't the right thing that was built it was close it had a promise but it wasn't the, the technology wasn't there there's so many things now so that i think that question kind of just stuck with me since that incident and it finally came to a culmination and i was like all right i gotta do something about this and um i was at the mirror conference in portugal in braga portugal and yeah. um Ar- Ars bilgen and i we had crossed paths when I did some consulting work for BBVA. Um, I ran some uh, some workshops for them, uh, for their design and, and uh, product team and marketing teams. And so he and I crossed paths, we hit it off. And then when we, we saw each other again at the Mirror Conference, I sort of floated this idea, like, I don't know, over beers or something after at like a speaker dinner or something. And, and he was like, huh, yeah, that could be really interesting. And so, you know, we just stayed in touch and RS is in um, Istanbul in Turkey. So I just stayed in touch over, 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 you know, I forget over the next year or so. And then it was like, Hey, maybe we should actually think about this. And actually, and it started out with like, what comes before a design sprint? What do you need to do? We're actually thinking of calling it. We talk a lot about that. I totally. We thought about calling it the initial proposal to a rather was like, we should call it a research sprint. Um, And maybe just, you know, write the book on what happens before like the prequel to design sprint. Um, that was the initial thought about it. It turns out that like, well, okay, yeah, there's a lot of different things you could do. And we were starting to, as we started to unpack this and like, like anything, like, and this is maybe for you, like you got an idea for a book that's like, Hey, there's something that's missing in, in the, the conversation. I, I think I can fill it. You kind of put some spaghetti on the wall and some stuff sticks and some stuff doesn't. And this is yep. this kind of what happens. And, you know, it ultimately came down to like, all right, we don't want to write a product research, you know, like a research compendium. But right. the gap, yeah, the yeah, gap yeah. that we saw was that you've got user research, you've got market research, um, and you've got product analytics. And product research is really the combination of all three. If your user research can kind of tell you, you know, the, whether it be generative, uh, descriptive, or evaluative, that kind of tell you like a lot about the kind of your user and what, what problems they have. Mm-hmm. If you don't frame that problem in the context of a larger market, that can be a problem because maybe then you have only a, 
you've identified that there's problem solution fit here, but maybe you don't have product market fit or you don't yeah, have the It could be an anomaly that only one user- Or a small a subset yeah. of users yeah. right, has that doesn't necessarily, is gonna fit and, and you know, scale to something that's worth a profitable or going to be grow into a profitable business. Right. Um, and then you've got like the analytics side of it of like, all right, I've got a product in market. What are my customers doing with it? How can I walk, like see that? And while there's plenty of product analysts and data analysts and product managers that look at these analytics, like, you know, from Amplitude or Pendo or Heap, you know, pick yep, your favorite yep. uh, analytics package. There just wasn't enough conversation about how do you string these, these three areas together to really think about things. So um, that's where we're trying to think, like that's what really product research is. It's the mix of those three, three things, just like the Venn diagram of, of product, right? Always, <laughs> uh, always. So, There's always a good Venn diagram or a two by two. If there wasn't everything. a Venn diagram, we couldn't put a product in the book if it didn't have a Venn diagram in it. I mean, <laughs> that's so just- right. <laughs> so I know you unpack like the nine kind of fundamental rules. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's do like- you wanna, Do you want to unpack those here? Or do you want to like save that for people to uh, to buy the book? Well, or, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, can want... talk, I can talk about some of them. And yeah, um, yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. So like part of it is is this whole concept of like, we, we wanted to think about like, how can we frame this in a way that's going to be useful to people in, in right. a book format that's like going to be consumable. If we were to write like, you know, all the steps, like a real oh, process, gosh. how to, like this thing would have been 500 to 600 pages. We're like, no, and neither Aris nor I wanted to write a book like that. That's right. But we wanted to at least raise the level of, of conversation and get people talking about it, thinking about it and thinking this way. And so, well, how could we actually do this in a way that maybe it wasn't like prescriptive research sprint of like step, you know, day one, day two, or step one, step two, Yep. but could we put some guidance around it? And so that's where with the, the rules approach, like, hey, here's nine rules that you can think about um, around this. And, you know, I, I won't necessarily sh- share all of them here, but I mean- Yeah, gotta go buy the book. We'll, we'll, get, we'll um, plug that. Uh, but like, you know, one of the first ones is like, hey, prepare to be wrong because you're going yeah, to be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? And that's, that's, that study from the Standish Group is just one more quantitative aspect of probably every product person. Like, you know, raise your hand if you shipped a feature that, that doesn't, doesn't work or, or customers never used. Like we all can raise, of course. You know, if not one, two hands. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, and it's just things like that are, are like, hey, you know, plans are really help. And here's how you can think about planning. Um, you know, how do you actually think about sharing those insights? Don't just stuff your research into a report somewhere or a PowerPoint deck and share it with like one or two people. Like how do you share it in a, in a format that, everyone's going to going to see and understand. I think that's absolutely huge cuz we I mean we do research here or or our clients will bring research with them when when they come to us. And it's 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 so frustrating when you can tell a lot of time, love, energy, work has been put into saying we have something here. There there's insight to be had here. Yes. And then it sits in a document in a PDF in a place or in, even in an app, like maybe there is a, yeah. you know, interactive place that we're supposed to be able to get access to it and no one ever pulls it back out again. Yeah. And yet we go right back to our old process of saying, let's just build what we want to build or let's build yeah. whatever the boss told us to build. And it's like, we had really good data to back yeah. up why we should have gone a certain direction and, and, and people forget about it. So I think that shareable asset is huge. Yeah, one of the things that this is this is really all Aris and and his his teams. He worked at Guarantee Bank, which is one of the largest banks in Turkey. Was bought by BBVA, a Spanish bank, which is even has a more global footprint. So he had quite a a, a large enterprise um, experience, and obviously, yeah, yeah, a lot of ex- experience designing for uh, millions of users at scale, and, right? Right. And one of the things that he mostly it was it was his concepts that we tried to codify, but he talked about this thing of narrative prototypes. 
So mm. everyone loves looking at the product. Nobody wants to read it. Who wants to raise your hand if you want to read a report? That's right. Not a lot of people, but people right. love looking at prototypes, don't they? Yeah, they do. They love clicking. Like, Let me see the prototype. What does it look like? So he had this concept of creating narrative prototypes, meaning you kind of bake the insights into your prototype. So as somebody's trying to click through, you, they can see like, well, we put this, you know, we put this frame this way, or we, we made this table here because these are the reasons. So he would narrate different aspects or annotate parts of the prototype as somebody, um, so that when somebody looked through it, they could get the story of what was going on there and why they made those design choices or uh, why that research, you know, discussed or in, why those insights were. And so that was, I thought a pretty clever thing to do. And I tried it a couple of times. I was like, oh, wow, this is super cool. <laughs> that's awesome. That is fantastic. Yeah. So it was a very clever way to do that. But that's, that's kind of the stuff we try to, you know, codify and talk about again, you know, all in this sort of like rule guidance, like, hey, or here's some, yeah. some rules you can think about. Like anything, if you know the rules, you know when you can break them. Because some of them you can break yeah. willingly, some you yep. break unwillingly, some of them you can break willingly. But once you know them, it's like, okay, now I know when I can break this and do something else. Um, and it's kind of like, um, there's a there's a great tweet that we found not that long ago where it was like, I wish consultants would stop telling everybody the perfect way to do work. And then not telling them anything about how to approach actually getting there. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I, I said, okay, to, but to give them credit, there's, there's something to build an archetype. It's to say, here are some principles. We have gathered them from both our experiences and other people's experiences. And if they were all in place, which will never all be in place perfectly, then the world would be a better place or yeah. we would all be better humans or we would all do better work. Um, at least we can give you the, the, the ingredients to know how to work with that. And I love a principles or a rules-based approach where you can say, here's the stuff to work with. You should strive towards these ideals. Yeah even though we all know everything, nothing's, you know, nothing, nothing is truly binary. Uh, right. It's all in spectrum that, that it's going to be a paradox of trying to hold these things in tension. So how do you yeah. handle it? Exactly. Um, exactly. And actually that came up a lot with when in the product roadmaps uh, book and even a lot of workshops that we do, I would have PMs basically at the end of it. So excited. Like, Oh my God, I can't wait to go try to do everything in this book. They are everything in this workshop. You just taught me. They would go back and they would try and they would hit their head against the, you know, this cultural wall of, yep. oh my God, we tried it. We like, I, they totally want to do implement the things that we, we talked about in terms of thematic roadmaps, you know, roadmap connected to release plan, et cetera. And they start to try and, and do some of those things and just hit this wall. Mm -hmm. And so at first we're like, you know, when we first started to do, do this, we're like, yeah, yeah, go, go, go. Awesome. We're like total cheerleaders. And then we follow up with them six months to a year later. And they're like, oh, I left that job. I couldn't stand it anymore. Like, we're like, whoa, oh, what no. happened? And um, so then we started to like, wait, okay, there's a problem here. Like, don't try to, anytime you're making any kind of organizational change, yes. think about like, if, if I put my biology hat on for a minute, how does evolutionary change happen? That happens right. either in slow incremental processes over time where you get this like slow evolution. And then you'll have these periods of punctuated equilibrium where you just have like this, like, you know, asteroids hit and the dinosaurs die right right that kind of thing like there's really catastrophic event and something happens and then you can have some change but then there'll be a period after that of like this steady evolution so if you're going to go back to your unless you're going to you know you have the power and organizational clout to you know wholesale change things work on just trying to do one thing at a time that's right uh, and the, so that's the one percent increase day, or day 
equaling 300 or whatever, 250% increase. That is a better way to, to actually think about change versus the, the 180. Exactly. And that's, and that's sort of what we've, we've moved to in terms of our approach with roadmaster launch and even the same thing with, with the research rules. Like yeah. if people come to us and say, how do I implement this? We're like, okay, don't try to do it all tomorrow. Yeah. You know, what's, what's one thing we can change. Let's think about one thing we can change to get a, a, a quick win and get people to be like, yeah, okay, this worked. Let's do it. Like same thing with the design sprints. Like when I was trying to evangelize them at constant contact, which is like, you know, 1500 ish, mm-hmm. 2000 company. Yeah. Big company, um, lots of a bit, you know, a 20 year old tech company at the time, like they've been around for a long time. So some established players, established politics. And I'm like, Hey, I want to come into this design sprint thing. We're like, what? That's cute. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what we did is we just did, you know, we took this product project that was kind of lingering around, didn't really have a lot of action. And so we just, well, Hey, we got buy-in from one of the senior execs to go like, look, just give us four or five days and a little bit of resources. And we'll, we'll, we'll try to see if we can move this forward. And, um, you know, it was, had this one little, little just case that was like, spot. Hey, Hey, look, a little bright spot here. This kind of worked well. Right. We didn't try to like say, Hey, let's have everyone do these tomorrow. It was like, let's try one little spot here. Okay. Then a little bit later, another one and a little later, another one. And then, you know, two, three, four years later, you got teams like saying, Hey, I need to do a design sprint. And like, yep. Every team is asking for a design sprint at that point. I mean, we, cool. we, we've been preaching this for a while. I mean, it's agile. It's, it's, it's lean. It's, it's, yep. it's all these ideas of, okay, we'll build an MVP or just start small. Uh, you know, um, we had Barry O'Reilly on the, the podcast and he was talking about like, it's this idea of start dream big, but start small. Like if you try to build big, we all know how that goes. Um, <laughs> and, and it oftentimes doesn't play out the way that we expect it to. Uh, Kiwi. Uh, Quibi, whatever it was called, Quibi, yeah. um, uh, Juicero, oh, yes. right? Those are two yes. companies that invested big and built big and they went nowhere. Right, right. right. And, 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 no, and, and talk, again, talk about soul crushing, like to be on the teams that put all that time and effort in right. just to know that it, you know, it literally would just be put on a shelf or, you know, deleted and, at some yeah, point. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's in a server someplace, but no, you know, it's no longer seen anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you talked about this. So if, if you're giving advice to people that are maybe taking uh, the first steps into product research, what would you say is the, the kind of tactical first, first thing to try or the first thing to maybe introduce to their peers or leadership? Um, I know, I know. Yeah, a lot of it's context-based. Context like that's the, the hard thing is like, it's not, there's, my answer would probably say it depends. I need uh, to know of course, a little bit more yeah. about the That's team. a good research like, answer. What's the <laughs> what's the thing that's the challenge there? Is it that you you find your 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 you find your your features aren't landing, you're not solving yeah. your customer problems, you're building some stuff and it's kind of working, but not like are your metrics not moving in the direction you're you're you have? Or is it that like, you know, the your your roadmap has been dictated by a senior exec and you just have to execute on it? And you know, what 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 is the challenge there? And that's sort of what I would want to understand first before saying, oh, try this or try that. And that's yeah, the, the thing that's about fair. like research is, like, or do, are you actually looking at enough analytics? Are you framing it in the, in the, in the context of a market? So I probably want a bit more context. It's really hard from a, a product research perspective to say, well, what's the, you know, what's the right thing? It, it could vary. It's funny. Um, again, going back to just because we only just recently spoke, so it's fresh in my uh, mind, talking to, to Marty Kagan. And one of the things that you realize, you talked about not uh, writing a 400 page book. It's a 450 page book that he wrote. And, and, and he, he kind of starts off with, honestly, this whole product stuff, it's complex. Like 
you're trying to pull research from data, you're trying to pull people in, you do have to get buy-off from stakeholders, you do have to keep customers happy, you do, you know, it is not, it's not as simple as saying, ah, I want to know how to make a pin and I'm going to make the pin and then I'm going to make lots of them and I'm going to ship them to lots of people. It's just not that simple. It's so much more nuanced than that. So I think that's a fair answer to say that it does definitely depend on culture. It depends on resources. It depends on uh, people's mindsets, their postures coming into that space. State, state um, of maturity of your product, state of maturity right. of your business, um, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. It, it's, there, there's a fair amount that goes there. Um, you know, and I, I could talk about this all day long. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I, honestly, I think, again, I want to watch your time because we could nerd out on this all day and, and maybe we'll have you back on to, to go even further deep and in, sure. deeper Happy into this. To. Yeah. Um, I, I want to throw it to you though. You, you've written three books. I know that I've of your talks online oh, and, um, and of course, you know, you have your companies and your things that you're working on. Yeah. Where can people find you and find out what you're working on? Yeah, sure. The easiest place is uh, Twitter. Um, IMC Todd is my handle there. That's probably the, the place I can e- easily find me. My website's pretty easy. Ctodd.com. It's not, not hard to, uh, to remember, but, um, yeah, I'd probably say the best, quick and easiest place to find me is on Twitter. It's usually stuff that I you know, think about or talk about. Um, I, I always have this like back of my mind, like I really should be writing and blogging more. Um, I think I'll eventually get Sounds to like that. Sounds like you're doing enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like I was like, I, I think I need to take a break from writing for a little bit. <laughs> it's fair. This is why I sit and talk to people instead of yeah. writing too much. So I get it. Well, see, Todd, I really appreciate your time to come on. And at some point I'm going to have to find uh, a time to get to Boston and go on a bike ride with you. I love oh. cycling as well. Oh, wonderful. And, yeah. Come on. Um, up. Would love to do that when the world is back to, you know, yeah. us being able to travel and do that. But Absolutely. it sounds, I, I was thinking as you were talking earlier, you were mentioning kind of the evolutionary um, comparison. And I'm pretty sure Richard Banfield talked about the same thing on his, his podcast that he, we had him on. Probably. And so I, I would wonder if you guys didn't we talk about- We both studied stuff. biology. Ah, uh, there it is. We're both desi- is. like designers who studied biology at our, an undergrad. They like to ride bikes. So yeah, who loves um, to ride bikes? Exactly. I love it. I love it. Well, well, he's again, up around here too. We can get the three of us on a, on a ride. I w- I'm in. Let's do it. I, you Good. guys will probably both crush me uh, on your watts, but uh, I, I still love <laughs> I don't it. know I about that. Love. Yeah. Well, right thanks on. again for coming on. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, George. It's been a pleasure. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with the support of Gabby Caton, Julie Branson, and Alexa Alfonso. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.